Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Korach. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayam at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Ig about the fine line between leadership and demagoguery. Have you ever been part of a grassroots rebellion? Have you ever done anything to kind of, have you ever been part of a protest? Have you ever put yourself out there in a moment when you were just fed up? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. When I was in, I think it was fourth grade, I led a rebellion against the uh, school um, chorus director because he wouldn't let us choose any of our own songs for the uh, spring recital. And I thought that was grossly unfair. I started a petition drive. I, uh, I, this was, you know, the uh, early seventies. So, you know, the, 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 the protest movement was still in the air. And I, I actually, at one point I organized everybody to move their lips, but not sing during one of the rehearsals so that we could let him know how seriously we took this. And, uh, and I, and I broke that man. I, I, uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I, I sent him. <laughs> no, he, he actually eventually did agree to let us pick uh, one or two of our own songs. I was very proud of myself. I was a young little, uh, activist. So, yeah. So when the biography is written, I can hear the biography writing about Jonathan Icke saying, and that was the moment that changed <laughs> the trajectory of his life. Yeah. Right? He wasn't interested in issues like, you know, hunger or world <laughs> peace, but, but damn it, they got to sing Kung Fu fighting for their spring <laughs> recital. <laughs> That was the song we chose. I still remember that. I want me to, want me to sing that for you. Uh, you know, I just, I just want to savor the victory with you. That's all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, in this week's portion, you have another rebellion. You have another protest. But unlike the pure and just cause of your protest against your um, music teacher. That righteous. You forgot to say righteous. I did. I did. <laughs> um, I did. Forgive me. You have in the Torah portion, you have the people rebelling against Moses in what is clearly the most a serious challenge to his leadership in Moses' history as a leader. And it all follows on the heels of last week's portion, which saw the children of Israel follow the 10 spies that said we couldn't enter the land. They had a revolution against Moses. They wanted to go back to the land of Israel. Moses, go, go back to the land of Egypt. Moses goes to God and begs for forgiveness. But the punishment is going to be that these people are going to wander for an additional 38 years. And the reality of the punishment, that they're going to be stuck, they're not, they can't go back to Egypt, and they're not going to go to the land of Israel. They're in this sort of desert purgatory, and they're stuck there. And they realize what's happened, and there is a rebellion against Moses. And so Korach, who has the same pedigree as Moses, rises up, and challenges him to, to be topical. We often see this with baseball teams, right? The baseball team does poorly, and suddenly they get rid of the manager. And that's basically Korach's argument. Korach is a uh, populist. He says to the people, and he, says, he, he comes to Moses with his own leadership, and he says, you know, Moses, you know, who died and made you king, so to speak? Doesn't God say all Israel is holy? What about us? How come you're the only one that talks to God? How come you're the only one who goes before God? What What's the deal here, right? Don't we count? And so basically the message is Korach is the guy who's going to represent the little man, right? Even though he, he's, he's from a high stature in his society, right? he's a person of wealth and he's a person of means, he really cares about the little guy. And so here you have the classic story 
of demagoguery. And that's the story of the, of Korach about that rebellion and how dangerous it can be. It's interesting because, you know, as you were telling the story, um, I thought a lot about politics and, uh, and leadership. You know, Moses is, uh, is the leader of the people. So in a sense, he's not an elected official, but he's attempting to lead, which puts him in a position similar to an elected official, a person in government. And I wonder if it's even possible then, now, ever to avoid demagoguery, to avoid the sense that, you know, when you're in power, you must retain power. You know, that it becomes a sort of a zero sum game for our leaders that if they want to have things their way, they have to get political. They have to view this as a competition, an adversarial relationship with opponents who might try to take their people in a different direction. Is that just built into our DNA? Is that something that even, you know, Moses could not avoid? Look, I don't think any leadership is pure. I think you have to always watch your flanks. But at the end of the day, there's always a struggle between the ideas that are for the good of the entire community, the ideals that you hold on to, and the reality of managing power. I think that's part of any any leadership issue. And the great leaders are the ones who hold on to their ideals no matter what, even though it can get ugly. And we've seen too many times in history, the leader that leaves their ideals and clings to power as if that's the only goal. And by the way, this is a biblical idea. This is exactly what happens to King Saul. King Saul is chosen to be the first king of Israel. But at the end of his reign, all he cares about is staying in power, even if he's going to do something immoral like kill this young man, David, who is the rising star, who's a threat to his own son. This is the reality that is part of human history from the earliest days that I think we cling to to this day. When people are disappointed, when people are scared, the ground is fertile for the seeds of demagoguery. And I think that's a very scary thing. Demagoguery is the response to those who want to take responsibility for hard things, for soul-searching moments. This, the demagogue says, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's that one's fault. This is the problem. And they point to all kinds of different enemies so that I don't have to take responsibility for my own plight. Yeah, the, the problem is sometimes those idealists have a difficult time getting past their ideals and, and operating in the in the more practical matters. And that makes them vulnerable to competition and, and to demagogues and to people who think more selfishly. You know, I think about Martin Luther King. I was just listening the other day to an interview with Ella Baker, who was one of his lieutenants, one of the really smart women who were frustrated that they didn't get treated right, that King didn't really respect the views of women. And I'm listening to this thinking that, wait, you can't criticize Martin Luther King Jr. He's my hero. But she points out that he really was not well-trained as a leader he was an idealist. He had the vision, but he didn't know how to organize. He didn't know how to run a complicated network of activists. And it made me wonder how far can that idealism get you if you become vulnerable to the critics because you don't know how to satisfy the other demands of the people you're leading. A leader can't be one thing or another. A leader has to be a communicator. A leader also has to have a vision. And the leader has to be able to communicate that vision. But at the end of the day, as people in the Congress remind us, you know, the sausage making that goes into the legal system of our country and how things get done, it can be uh, ugly in its own way or 
at least chilling if they hold on to their ideals and ideals alone. And we watch people kind of go through this, and that's the challenge of any leader. And what Moses is going to do here is that he's going to do something that other leaders can't do. He's going to appeal to God, right? He's going to say to God, you know, what am I supposed to do? And God says, I got your back. And what's going to happen is, is that Moses is going to test Korach and his followers, who happen to be priests, in a ritual battle. This is very Jewish, right? So this is the Jewish gladiator kind of thing where you're going to, where you're going to sacrifice, right? So it's not a physical activity. It's a spiritual one, right? So they're going to lay out these sacrifices. And if God accepts the sacrifices, great. And if God doesn't accept the sacrifices and this ritual thing that they, then it shows that Moses was the one. So what's going to happen is the ground is going to open up underneath Korach and his followers. They and their families are going to be swallowed up. And the rest of Israel kind of gets the message, amazingly, that maybe God is does stand with Moses. But not every every leader can say, God, would you please show everybody why I'm right? We have to convince people, and people make mistakes, and we make them over and over again, right? And it wouldn't, uh, nobody would believe it now anyway. They would say it was fake news. Unfortunately, we can't count on that as a routine solution. Look, at the end of the day, the covenantal relationship that the Torah is laying out for the children of Israel is a very challenging enterprise. It's a very hard thing to fulfill, right? Because it really means that people are going to have to hold on to their ideals on every level. And they're going to, at times, do things that may feel like they're too risky, they're too bold, and sometimes even against their own self-interest. I would suggest to you that America is very similar. This is a participatory democracy, right? It calls on us to take real responsibility, not pass the buck but accept the challenge and come together, maybe not because I like you or I, but because I can't do it without you. We are one people, right? How do we see each other as brothers and sisters that are not in name alone? And we constantly see people who get it and then people who don't. And when those people who don't get it rise up to leadership roles, it can get very, very dangerous, right? And the ground doesn't open up. Other disasters happen. I think that's the challenge of this moment. It's not just who's a leader, but who's a citizen. And am I fulfilling my responsibilities as a citizen? So it's a very relevant portion. Well, yeah, and it requires, as we discussed last week, it requires something, a belief in something bigger than yourself. It requires a commitment to a cause that is not only going to result in your benefit, in fact, might not result in your benefit, but will result in the benefit of a greater good. And without the earth opening up to remind us of that, how do we get that across at a time our leaders in particular have become more and more concerned with their own self-preservation? Well, the risk, the risk is clear. And again, the Torah portrays it. The people risked full destruction, the failure of the enterprise. And there's a constant struggle of, are we putting America at risk? right? Is America going to become a second-rate country or will it be a leader in the world, right? We can tell ourselves over and over again that America is the greatest country in the world. And we can tell ourselves over and over again that we are handling everything perfectly. But at the end of the day, citizens have to take a look around and say, can we be better? And are the people leading us going to be the people who are going to lead us to a better tomorrow? That's what voting is about. But I have to move past myself to a greater ideal, to a greater sense of 
purpose and greater connectivity with those around us, or ultimately the whole thing fails. And that's not a new idea. That goes back to the founding of this country. And I definitely think that that's what King understood, right? Or Muhammad Ali, you know, look at what, what did he do? He gave up the heavyweight championship of the world because he believed in something bigger. That's leadership, really. Yeah, that's right. He believed in God and he believed that uh, his faith was more important than um, any law. It takes that kind of a commitment, and but it takes that kind of leadership. It, it, we need to find a way to um, – I think the, the role of the leader is to bring others along and to unite people in that sense that we are in this together. And as King said, I may not get there with you, but I have seen the promised land. That's it. But I don't want to, I don't want to diminish from Muhammad Ali. This I hopefully this is music to your ears. He was very much taken with the thinking of Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. And what he understood was what he was a symbol of. And it was easy for him to continue down the road that he was on, but he chose to understand that in that moment he had a bigger purpose and he chose to do it. And I think that took a tremendous amount of courage on his part. And he paid the price. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. And and a lot of people look at, at the Ali story and they say, wow, he gave up the heavyweight championship for three and a half years. But you need to remember that when he gave it up, he thought he was giving it up forever. And he was okay with that. He was willing to stop boxing forever. In his prime, when he was still in his 20s, he was prepared to give it all up because he believed that this was the way to lead his life, that he wanted to follow the teachings of his God and his religion. And that was more important to him to be that kind of man than it was to be a successful boxer. At the end of the day, you have to be able to look in the mirror. And if you're not willing to look in the mirror, that's fine. Except the day's going to come where you're going to be forced to look in the mirror. I think that was true for Ali. It was true for King. And I think it's going to be true for our society today. We're going to have to take a long, hard look at how we responded to the coronavirus. And as the death toll continues and we struggle economically, what are the decisions we're going to make? What are the larger ideals that we're struggling with? And that's very real. Yeah, that's right. And we're right in the middle of it. Maybe that's the good news. There's still time. Well, I hope that by the time people hear this uh, podcast, we're in a better place and that this country is not only led properly, but also that we are proper citizens and demand the kind of leadership that we need at such a moment. Amen. All right. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Thanks, Rabbi.